Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 81. Is your wellness plan sick? If you offer a wellness benefit or you're considering one, then you'll want to pay close attention to this episode. In May 2016, the IRS issued a memorandum about the tax treatment of wellness benefits and their premium reimbursements. And there are some new EEOC compliance rules taking effect on January 1st, 2017, so it's time for your wellness plan checkup. Let's rock this. Well, a wellness plan is an employee benefit that encourages healthy living and disease prevention. And these plans provide access to resources, services, and information that help your employees change their behaviors and also diagnose and manage disease. The disease prevention services are designed to both prevent the onset of disease and also to diagnose and treat diseases at an early stage before they get too complicated and before they start costing the health insurance plan a lot of money. So, for example, the wellness plan might provide nutrition classes, weight loss and smoking cessation programs, or even coaching to help your employees meet their goals. And it can be provided as part of a group health insurance plan or even as a standalone benefit. Some of the wellness plans use financial incentives to encourage employee participation. And these incentives are in the form of cash or cash equivalents, novelty items, and health insurance premium discounts or surcharges. The premium incentives are either positive or negative, right? A positive incentive is a reduction in the employee paid health insurance premium, and a negative incentive is an increase in their premium. Now, these incentives might only apply to employees who are either at risk of or are currently dealing with a health issue. Prior to 2007, incentives could only be tied to participation. So if an employee participated in the plan, then they're entitled to the premium incentive. And now incentives can be tied to outcome. So even if the employee participates, they have to achieve the desired outcome before they become eligible for the incentives. In other words, employees who don't achieve the desired outcome could have to pay an additional portion of the premium on top of what they already have to pay. And again, that goes either way. They could get a 30% discount or pay a 30% surcharge. Now, most wellness plans require a health risk assessment or biometric tests. It's the collection of this personal health information along with the payment of cash or the receipt of these non-medical related cash equivalents where the plans get complicated from a compliance standpoint. And despite a significant growth in wellness plans since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, most small employers don't offer them. According to the Kaiser Foundation, only 18% of employers with less than 200 employees actually have a wellness plan. These plans are supposed to lower your health insurance premium, reduce absenteeism, and decrease health-related productivity losses. Now, when employees are healthy, they're more productive, and benefits are the most valuable form of employee compensation after good old hard cash. So offering a wellness plan can help to improve job satisfaction, which in turn helps to lower turnover. However, there isn't any solid evidence to prove that a wellness plan actually saves money. 
In 2013, Rand Corporation published a research report sponsored by the Department of Labor and the Department of Health and Human Services. And based on that survey, less than half the employers who offer a wellness plan actually evaluate the impact, and only 2% of them estimate that there were any savings associated with it. In fact, none of the five RAND case studies did any kind of formal evaluation. Most of the savings that were identified in their research seemed to be coming from the disease management aspect of the plan. For example, plans that offer programs that target diabetes, heart disease, lung disorders, depression, and, and cancer. And another interesting thing to note from the report is that fitness programs aren't really effective. So if you have a wellness plan or you're thinking about implementing one, then you want to make sure that it focuses on disease management so that you get the biggest bang for your buck. Now, not everyone thinks that wellness plans save money. One journalist from The Slate, uh, Ms. J.V. Anderson, calls workplace wellness programs a sham. And Alfred Lewis and Vic Khanna, both of these are authors and bloggers and lawyers and excellent writers. Anyway, they are anti-wellness plans. And these guys are legit, and I look forward to reading more of their work. It's pretty entertaining. But to sum up their position, I'll use a quote from their website by Mark Twain. It says, quote, It's easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled, end quote. Now, they make no bones about their belief that most wellness vendors are liars, and they refer to a particular group of promoters as the wellness ignorati. Now, Alfred Lewis, along with three other collaborators, came up with a minimum set of standards to help vendors quote, live up to the expectation that employees and employers have for wellness programs, end quote. And they call it the Employee Health Program Code of Conduct. And so far, several vendors have stepped up and adopted those standards. Next, I want to talk about the IRS treatment of wellness benefits. They released a memo on May 27, 2016, addressing the taxability of these benefits and the premium reimbursements. So some employers who pay cash or cash equivalents, including these reimbursements, have been excluding these payments from their taxable income, the employee's taxable income. If your plan pays a cash reward or provides benefits that don't qualify as medical expense deductions under the IRS, things like a gym membership, those benefits are taxable income. On the other hand, de minimis fringe benefits, you know, small rewards, things like t-shirts, aren't taxable. But the memo says, quote, an employer may not exclude from an employee's gross income payments of cash rewards for participating in a wellness program, end quote. And, quote, an employer may not exclude from the employee's gross income reimbursements of premiums for participating in a wellness program if the premiums for the wellness program were originally made by a salary reduction through a Section 125 cafeteria plan, end quote. And finally, this brings us to the new EEOC rules. Several federal laws regulate wellness plans. There's the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, the Affordable Care Act, the Genetic Information and Non-Discrimination Act, and the Americans with Disabilities Act. The EEOC issued a new rule on May 17, 2016, that provides guidance on employee incentive limits 
involving programs that ask disability-related questions or require employees to undergo medical examinations. Now, if your wellness plan doesn't ask disability-related questions or require employees to undergo medical exams, then the rule doesn't apply. In addition to setting these limits, the rule also explains the differences between the Americas with Disabilities Act requirements for voluntary health programs versus other federal laws because basically they've had to clean up a lot of confusion that exists relative to how all these federal laws work together. So as far as the incentives are concerned, a plan that's offered as part of a group health plan, there's a 30% limit on the lowest employee-only premium. That's the max that you can offer in an incentive. Now, if you offer a wellness plan but you don't have a health insurance plan, then the max incentive is still 30%, but it's 30% of the premium that a 40-year-old non-smoker would pay for self-only coverage under the second-lowest-cost silver plan on the state or federal exchange. Now, there was a lot more to the new rules, again, as it relates to clearing up some confusion about how wellness plans work in conjunction with all the other federal laws, but the highlights are the incentive limits. If you have a wellness plan, call your insurance agent and make sure that they know about these IRS and EEOC rules and have them confirm with the wellness benefit provider that the plan will be compliant with the new EEOC rules on the first day of the new plan year, beginning after January 1st. Well, there you have it. That's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac.